Hello, and welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean Mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we're excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, anytime. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end. We're going to share some exciting opportunities, and please feel free to share this with people who you know who will also find it of interest. Well, today we're turning the tables. Today is a very, very different kind of conversation because I'm not hosting it. Uh, usually you get to hear me as the host interviewing fabulous people, and I want to tell you I've been so blessed and grateful at how the response has been. Hundreds of thousands of downloads in our first two years and uh, we're now in our third year, and it continues to go strong. That's maybe may a credit to me, but it's definitely a credit to my guests. And today, I am sharing a conversation that I was hosted on with a good friend, Regina Roundtree. And I'm going to give no more setup than that, because I want you to hear the podcast. I want you to hear the conversation. Regina hosted me on a program that she does and did a fabulous job. So if, if you've ever been curious about, well, uh, the topic we're going to talk about um, is very broad, but it ultimately comes to why I'm doing what I do. Why do you listen to me every week? Why is this important? And why are other people listening to Jonathan Feldstein, an Orthodox Jew in Israel who builds bridges between Jews and Christians? So please listen and stay tuned. And I'd love your feedback. Father, we, we're just going to open in a quick word of prayer, and then I'm going to get right into um, talking about Jonathan, my friend. So, Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to come together. Um, we just ask that your name would be glorified. We thank you that all those who are making their way to this room that need to hear this message to be involved in this discussion would find their way here. We um, are grateful. Uh, for Jonathan taking his time. We ask that you bless him tremendously uh, for the work that he's doing, for his heart, for your people, and for the land of Israel. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, Jonathan, um, I like it when people tell us about themselves. I don't really like to read bios and everything. So, um. First, just kind of tell us, because I think you were born in the States, and then you made Aliyah to Israel. Is that correct? That is correct. I was born in uh, New York, grew up in New Jersey, spent several years living and studying in Atlanta, and then moved back up to New Jersey to meet my wife in 1990. And we've been married for 31 years. We have six children, five of whom were born in America one of whom has given us three incredible grandchildren, and one of our children was born here, our youngest, and we only moved to Israel, well, I say only, but it feels like yesterday still, 
we moved to Israel in 2004. So it's 19 years ago this month. Um, yeah, I've always wanted, my father was born here. I've always wanted to live here. It took us a little bit longer. You know, I don't know if uh, it, it, it's a Yiddish saying um, that's translated as man plans and God laughs. So my wife and I had originally planned that we would be moving here within seven years of our getting married. It took a few years longer. But um, one of the signs of being a great success is our children uh, today thank us. They realize what we what we uprooted ourselves and took ourselves away from our parents and our siblings and uh, and are grateful. They're all grateful that we've um, raised them here and that they've got the privilege of being uh, the next generation of inheritors of the biblical promise that God made to Abraham, that this is our land. And it's unbelievable to live here. It's unbelievable to seeing prophecies unfold in front of our eyes. And, uh, and I guess the last piece is in terms of the context of my work. For all of my career, I have been in nonprofit work. And it goes back to when I lived in Atlanta and was working for the Israeli consulate at the time. Um, it was actually the first time I ever went into a church. And I realized, long story short, but I realized that that's where God was calling me to be a bridge between Jews and Christians. I'm an or people can't see me, so you don't see that I'm wearing a kippah on my head, but I'm an Orthodox Jew. And um, I'm passionate about building bridges between Jews and Christians as a calling, not as a profession and not as a, um, not as a transactional relationship. I think you and I spoke about that the first time we met Regina, and it's been, it's it's something that drives me. It's something that makes me a better person, a better Jew, and something which I upset a relative recently who said that they want to retire and come to Israel so we can travel more together. And I said, I don't ever want to retire because I love what I do. That's amazing. So you're going to have to you know, for the Christians in the platform, <clears throat> um, explain how you knew it was calling from God as an Orthodox Jew. <laughs> yeah, as an Orthodox Jew <laughs> in a Christian <laughs> church in Cleveland, Tennessee. <laughs> right. right. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, please tell us this story. <laughs> well, you know what? Let me start by saying I shared this with somebody who came to my house for a meeting this morning. I always, always say I was, I don't know what year it was. It was either 1988 or 89. So I was in my early twenties. As I said, I grew up in New Jersey. We had Christian neighbors, but really never interacted on any kind of faith basis. There were neighbors with Christmas trees and we knew that they celebrated Christmas, but there was never really any significant, substantial theological conversation one way or the other. Um, maybe I had some Christian friends at my bar mitzvah in 1977 or 78, but yeah, somewhere around then. But it, it was not substantial. And of course, when I went to college, I went to Emory. And so I was exposed to a whole lot of new um, new people and new, new experiences. And for many um, friends, I was the first Jew they had ever met. So it was really quite, quite mind-opening in a really positive way. And then when I went to work for the Israeli consulate, I joke that my, my bosses who were the professional diplomats, when they were either too busy or too lazy, they would send me out to speak on behalf of the state of Israel. So I would go to Alabama and South Georgia 
and Tennessee and South Carolina and I think somewhere else. But we it was a pretty good good sized territory. And one day, I have to say his name because I really believe he was an angel in my life. And I'm hoping maybe one day I'll reconnect with him or a child, a grandchild, a very tall, thin black man named Bill Cherry picked me up at my apartment on Buford Highway and drove me to Cleveland, Tennessee. Now, I didn't even know there was a Cleveland, Tennessee. And I didn't know that there was a Church of God. And I didn't know the Church of God was headquartered in Cleveland, Tennessee. And today still, and I don't say this rhetorically, if you could put a USB port in my head, you could still download the picture of of what I saw that day from walking in the door from, from the side of the building to the parking lot. But then what blew me away is I saw Christians wearing blue and white costumes, singing Hebrew Israeli songs and dancing Israeli folk dances. And I didn't understand well, for my life. What, this, this is, is in a church. church of God. Well, I don't know if it was a church of God, but if, but it was in Cleveland. And I think intuitively it probably was, but I didn't know that yeah. there was a church of God. I didn't know that. I didn't know there were okay. denominations. I knew that there was Jews and Christians. And this is the first time I had been in a church. So I didn't have any experience to know. I believe that if the building hadn't been changed and you drove me by it, I could still identify the building today. Um, it was, it's that vivid. And that's, that kind of goes to your question. How do I know it was a calling? Because how often do you have such a vivid experience? How many years ago? 35 years ago. That's so vivid. That's so moving. Uh, when we, when you and I were together in Orlando, a matter of fact, it was a Sunday night and you, and we, you were doing a, a, a clubhouse um, a, a program like this. And I was unavailable because I was going to speak in a church. It was the first time since then I, I, I wept in this church in, in Orlando back in May because it was the first time I had seen Christians. They weren't wearing the blue and white costumes, but they were singing his Israeli Hebrew songs and dancing folk dances. And I was blown away by it then. And I know God has funny ways of doing things. I don't know. I, I knew at the time I was doing my job, but I also knew that there was something much bigger to that. And I didn't understand. A lot of the times, I don't know about you and others, I don't always understand what God wants for me. I don't, I don't pick it up. I'm a little slow um, to, to understand completely what's going on. Um, but I listen and I try to understand, but that this was so vivid that it was, only, it was not just a coincidental visit. I don't joke when I say Bill Cherry was an angel um, and, and I can still picture him and it's too vivid. It's and and it's too remarkable for me to have had that experience and carried that with me all these decades. That it's not something from God. Okay, I understand that, and you know it's so very practical. Um, you know, sometimes when you hear people talk about a a vision or a purpose or something that was given to God, there's a very much a, a vision or, you know, this overwhelming um, feeling or sense. But for you, it's very practical in how you are applying the situation that you knew. I mean, and 
time definitely has told that it, it must have been because you're still committed to it. So how did you begin to, how did you start? Where did you start when it came to Genesis 1, 2, 3? Rosa, excellent question. So I, as I, I mentioned in, in my intro, I've been in nonprofit for all these years, since the late 80s. And most of that, when I was in America, was working in advocacy, fundraising, public relations and marketing for Jewish and Israel-oriented organizations. And the truth is, none of them really gave me a, um, an outlet to do very much with it. But I, I, look, I, I, I clearly understood that there was something, but I was also very caught up in very quickly raising a family. And shortly after my kids started getting born, my father died, and that was very traumatic. So I wasn't focusing on my a calling as much as I was focusing on surviving. Um, but very much a part of my being being in Israel, which may or may not have been a calling, but is certainly a gift. So, and by the way, it's something I understood I wanted to do since I was a teenager before I even had children myself. God very clearly put on my heart as a teenager that I, I needed to live in Israel and Israel was a better place to raise children. Now that's pretty crazy because I was a basically a child myself when I had that vision, when I had that awareness. So, so I understood there was something, but I didn't really begin to apply it till I came here. And I think that that makes sense because it's, it's not Jonathan, the Orthodox Jew from New Jersey or Atlanta that makes it significant. It's the fact that I'm in Israel because Israel is what Israel, the land, the people, of course, the state um, and the God of Israel are the things that that bring Jews and Christians together. They're foundational um, pillars for us both, even if we approach all these things somewhat differently. So once I was here, I was working for a nonprofit um, and there was an opportunity to start bringing people to do something quite miraculous during the 2006 Lebanon war, which was to donate blood. And it was a pretty horrible war that we had that summer. <clears throat> and people who were coming here were looking for something tangible to do to show their support. So very organically, I had been setting up these blood drives and Jews and Christians started showing up. But I realized very quickly that for Christians, it was much more than an act of solidarity. It was something that was very spiritual and probably best articulated by uh, a friend of mine who many people listening will know the name of, Ricky Skaggs, who's I think a 17-time Grammy Award winner. He came here, ooh, I'd say about 15 years ago, maybe maybe less. And he was donating blood for the first time in his life. And then he went on Fox News after when he got home and he explained the story about how that came about and made this amazing theological statement. He said, he was referring to me, he said, my Orthodox Jewish friend invited me to come and donate blood in Israel. And I said, how, Jesus gave his blood for me. How can I refuse his brethren? Which is very powerful. And it was through that, yes. wow. right? 
it's 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 wow. chilling. And I I, re I related that to someone else today, and and it's just it was so amazing. And I realized, well, wait a minute, we're running this nonprofit as a nonprofit to speak to American Jews, which represent what one or two percent of the United States, but they're depending on how you count it, 70, 80, 100 million Christians in the United States who are programmed to love Israel and do love Israel. And we weren't communicating. So I began a process of communicating and creating relationships. And those relationships opened doors for me, which sometimes, um, you know me well enough. I'm not about me. I'm not an ego person. I don't look for, for that. Um, and I, so I don't say this with immodesty, but sort of to pinch myself, this is again, a God thing. How is it that Jonathan Feldstein, now a 58 year old Orthodox American Israeli Jew is the first, per, first Orthodox Jew to speak at the Billy Graham library, or that I was, had the privilege of probably also being the only Orthodox Jew invited to Billy Graham's 90th birthday party and, and many other things. And I don't say those things to make it sound like I'm so important because I'm not. The important thing is that God is opening these doors. And so therefore, now that I'm here in it and, and, and doing what I'm doing, and he's honoring it, he's, I think God is recognizing that I, I finally got, this, got the pace of all of this, and he's honoring it and opening the doors that need to be opened so I can do that. And fast forward a bunch of years, I was working for this one nonprofit, then I was working for another nonprofit. And I don't know if I've shared this story with you, but I realized that all these nonprofits really only cared about one thing. And me, that was my role in helping to raise money from Christians. It wasn't about, it wasn't about relations. It wasn't about integrity. It wasn't about ethics. In some cases, it wasn't even about things that were 100% legal or kosher. They just wanted me to raise money. And I was successful at that. But I realized I coined a phrase, how many years ago? Six years ago. Right around now, I wrote an article on a Jewish website where I called out the proclivity of some Israeli and Jewish organizations to objectify Christians as a faith-based ATM, which is a which is transaction, right? You put in a card, you punch in a four-digit PIN number, you take out your cash, and you walk away. And that's not good enough. That's not good enough on a human level, and it's certainly not good enough if, if it's a calling from God, and it's certainly not good enough if we're doing something that's, that in and of itself is based on, 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 on our creator and on the commonalities that we have. So at 50, how old am I, 58? At about 52, 53, I said, okay, what do I want to really do with my life when I grow up? And how can I make a difference that's not all about and only about how much money. So I established the Genesis One Two Three Foundation to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel. And we always say in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. And that means honoring Israel and donating to Israel is a great way of blessing Israel. But it's not the only way, and it can't be the only way. We need to build genuine relationships. So many of the things that I do are about that. And many of the things that I do are about blessing Israelis of all backgrounds. But many of the things that I do, you know, the, the name Genesis 1, 2, 3 comes from 
the scripture, Genesis 12, 3, where God says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Many people forget that that sentence doesn't end there. The sentence continues, the families of the world will be blessed through you. So in a sense, God is speaking to you, to Christians, to Gentiles, saying, you have to bless Israel. I'm saying that. And when you do it, you're getting a blessing back, some kind of blessing. However, God does that in our lives. But the end of the sentence, at the end of the scripture, God doesn't say, God then says to me as a Jew, you, you have to be a blessing to the families of the world. And he doesn't say, and I will bless you. He just says, you have to do it. So we've done a number of things from a year ago now, and there's horrible flooding in Pakistan. I think I'm the only Orthodox Jew who raised money to support Christian uh, ministries in Pakistan that had been flooded out and were second or third or fourth at best on the totem pole in terms of receiving um, in terms of receiving aid. And I'm still close friends with a number of Christians in Pakistan. Um, you remember a year ago in the U.S., there was a big shortage of baby formula. So I decided, well, wait a minute. We don't have that problem in Israel. And June of 2022, I was flying to the States. I brought six suitcases with me, four of which were filled, four, no, three of which were filled with um, 70 pounds of baby formula that I gave out to churches in Texas. And there are other things that I've done and that we, we continue to do. And, and in a sense, that's what God, the doors that God has opened for me. And I love it because there are a lot of reasons one can't sleep any given night. It's not, I, I don't, I don't not sleep because of my integrity. I don't not sleep because, because I met Regina Roundtree at the um, NRB convention and immediately connected and then tried to figure out, Oh, where's, where are the dollar signs? How can I raise money? No, we've got, you said it, we were good friends now. And I love that. So these are the relationships. And I see major daughters now with us also amazing relationship. And I'm so grateful for all of that and the opportunities that God is giving me through this. Let me share a quick story. Back in college, I studied Hebrew as my foreign language. We were a class of American Jews and one Christian student, Tim. One day, I asked Tim why he was studying Hebrew. I really didn't get it. He explained that he was the son of a pastor and wanted to understand the Bible in its original language. He was insightful beyond my understanding at the time. Recently, I was introduced to eTeacher, which allows people all over the world to learn Hebrew, to develop a foundation of the original language of the scripture that's so important to us as Jews and Christians, and to gain an understanding that Tim understood, laying a critical path for understanding the Bible's original language and a foundation for Christians to understand both the modern state of Israel and the Jewish people on a more personal basis. E-Teacher offers programs to study both biblical and modern Hebrew, taught by experienced scholars through an interactive curriculum. The Genesis 1-2-3 Foundation is pleased to partner with E-Teacher and offer you a 15% introductory discount. You can register through the link in the show notes or be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and we'll be happy to forward those links to you. 
Amazing. Shalom, Major Daughter. And shalom to you, Trudy. You know, um, Jonathan, as you were talking, it's um, sincere and transparent from your heart. How have you been received by other Orthodox Jews? You are a very good interviewer. Um, I have begun referring to the work that I do, you know, in the context that it's a, it is a profession, but I, but it's my calling. Um, I, I refer to it sometimes as a contact sport. Um, it's not easy there. I've, I've lost friends among Orthodox Jews. I've lost friends among liberal, uh, secular Jews, um, for very different reasons. And, and you know what, by the way, I, I, Really, I can sleep comfortably with that, too, because if people are that shallow, to be honest, I'm not so interested. Um, it's not easy. Jews bring centuries of baggage with us, sadly, of persecution, of forced conversions, of uh, I'm, I'm going to Germany next month. We're going to talk about the book that's coming out. But the first book launch event is going to be in Germany. I have a dear friend in Germany who I met here in Israel only in the spring, and she's repenting from not just the early church um, replacement theology, but from Martin Luther in Germany, um, who turned his back on the Jews and said to burn the synagogues and burn the Torah scrolls. And, and so, so I do all of these things, recognizing that we have this history, but Again, it goes back to the calling. I, e even if things are uncomfortable for me, I guess it doesn't matter. Like, and, and honestly, going to Germany is going to be very uncomfortable for me. I've never done that. Um, but it's a calling, and it's and, and it's restor. What's the word we've been using? Re uh, redemptive. To be able to have Christians in Germany of all places interested in hosting an Orthodox Jew who's coming out with a book about why Israel at seventy five is so significant. Um, I, I know if my grandmother were alive, it'd probably give her a heart attack because her family was killed in the Holocaust. Um, but I, 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 it, it's just, a, even if it weren't a calling, it's a passion and it's something from which I can't escape. So I embrace and run, run into it full steam ahead. And I do, and, and I'll say this and then, and, and then stop for a moment. Building bridges, I, I, I don't know, you know, you and I are American. I don't know if Trudy is, major daughter is South African. I assume that in every country developed or not, we have small bridges. Sometimes that they're one, run, one lane bridge, one lane and one, and all. And then you have to wait for the um, vehicle that's coming to go through in order for you to cross. I, I kind of look at that as, as my responsibility on twofold. First of all, building... Sometimes bridges have weight limits and there are things I'm not, I'm really not uncomfortable speaking with any Christian about anything, but there are some big heavy issues that I'm okay also leaving on the side because we have many bigger things in common. That's bridge analogy. Number one bridge analogy. Number two is that I also have a responsibility to make sure Jews understand that you don't, have an ulterior motive, that your motive is to love on us, 
is to support us, is to bless us, because you understand the scriptural imperative to do so. And, and that doesn't mean that all Christians don't. Um, that wouldn't be honest either. We still have to deal with elements of replacement theology. But I, that's, and that's where Jews get uncomfortable with my work. And I will tell you, one of the greatest things that's happened to me recently is back in the spring when my son and daughter-in-law got engaged, her father said at the engagement party that my work is so important, he doesn't think he, I even realize how important it is. So when I get fellow Jews to acknowledge that, then I know I'm doing something right. Wow. That's amazing. And, you know, I think it is also on the reverse end, right? Um, it was interesting when you were talking earlier how you said you didn't know that Christianity had divisions and denominations, right? <laughs> oh, boy, do we ever. And I think even in Judaism, you have divisions in your faith, even along the color lines, right? Ethnicity. Um, and uh, so do we as well within the Christian world. Um, you can go to an all black Christian church and an all white Christian church. And even if they're both Baptists, it'll feel completely different, right? Totally. <laughs> and, totally. <laughs> and so what's um what's so interesting i think on this end is to actually see a jewish person and i'm going to lump you in with all judaism right because not everybody knows the difference between the liberal the orthodox the Correct. you know ashkenaz all that stuff right so we'll just say jews and we'll just say christians and and we'll know that we are lumping a lot of things together um but to actually meet a Jewish person who is not just like, oh, it's nice to meet you, but is actively trying to build bridges with those people in Christianity. And so I thank you for that. Um, and not just, um, and not just, uh, not just Christians of, of the same skin color as you. Oh, right? totally. Um, and, <laughs> and so I'm a good example of that. When we came to, we, you know, on the trip with Major Daughter, uh, the Egypt Israel tour, uh, that was an example. But I want you to share about going to the Congo. Ah. Because I know that is just amazing how that story came together. And I mean, if you're talking about going to the, the the Republic of the Congo, you know, there are hardly any Caucasian people there, not at least where you were going, right? So talk about that. Sure. So at the be at the begin originally Genesis one, two, three, I put all of our effort into an amazing program called Run for Zion, which is the first Christian program around the Jerusalem Marathon. Um and that, and when the pandemic hit 10 days before the marathon was supposed to take place three and a half years ago and shut us down, I didn't know how long it was going to shut us down. So we went virtual like many people did. And that's where I started the webinar series. And that's where I started a podcast series and a series called the Global Prayer for Israel. And I don't, honestly, I don't know. I, I wish I could, I wish I could 
rewind and figure out how the whole Africa piece came together other than it being a God thing. But somehow I was entrusted with a whole new WhatsApp group called Africa Praying for Israel, which has now grown to about, I don't know, 100 people in probably at least a third, maybe close to half of the nations in Africa, which is pretty remarkable considering the ones in North Africa and other Muslim countries don't have a lot of Christians, so they're not so interested. Um, and because of that, I made new friends. Of a dear friend, I wish he was listening, a dear friend who's a pastor in Tanzania. Never met the man. And I'm the first Jew he's ever met, even though we've actually physically never met. And for the last two decades, he's been running around his country praying for Israel. And until we met, he didn't even know what Israel was, but he knew he'd do it. So a year, a year ago, a year ago now, I got a call from a gentleman whose name wasn't familiar to me, but he knew me. He was on my Africa praying for Israel group. And he said, I'm in Israel. I want to come and see you. Great. So he came to my house. It was a Friday. He was bringing a whole film crew from Congo <coughs> and told me about his vision to create a major program in Kinshasa called Congo Bless Israel, Africa Bless Israel, and invited me to come. So I said, okay, let me know the details. Fast forward. That, I, wait, I just need to stop you, Jonathan, yeah. because I, anyone who's listening needs to how does the, the the Republic of Congo? I can't even voice the things that I want to say, but the fact that there is a group of people in the Congo who want to have Africa bless Israel—that is nothing but God, nothing but well, Elohim. I mean, that is absolutely insane. To me, but you know, I you're yeah, go ahead. you're right. You're a hundred percent right. And how that and of all the places I've always and now that I'm living, I live next door to Africa, right? So I it's a very easy flight to pop over to Ethiopia and then from Ethiopia to go anywhere. And I but I've never done it. I've always wanted to, but I, and I'm not saying anything that I haven't said to other people before. Congo was not even on the top ten list, not even close. And to be very honest, I had to kind of look up where it was and and do my I knew all the all the nations when I was in in in, um, in junior high school. But but Congo wasn't called Congo then it was called Zaire. So I had to, OK, what is it and how to become Congo? And and there's two Congos. Which one am I going to? I, I, Democratic Republic and Republic of who knew? How did I figure that out? So all God thing. But here it gets even it even gets more. In this, that the people in Congo believe Congo is the second largest country by land mass, I believe, and fourth largest in terms of population in Africa. It's over 100 million people, 90% of whom are Christian. So, so it makes sense that there are people who love Israel. And you know, and you, you talked about different ethnicities. Congo is in the heart of Black Africa. They have not been affected by white European anti-Semitism that often intermingles with Christianity. So they don't know from that. And they just love Israel. So I was invited. I got to practice my high school French. Um, I was there for 12 days 
literally not knowing what was going on from one day to the next. The first day I landed, I spoke, it was a Sunday. I spoke in two churches, both very large. One, at least by my standard, one is a 10,000 member church. The pastor is Richard Dioka. He's unbelievable. And it wasn't because I was there as a guest from Israel. Every Sunday, first of all, on the stage, there are two flags. There's the Congolese flag and the flag of the state of Israel. And every Sunday, they sing Hatikva, our national anthem, in French. They don't sing the Congolese anthem. They sing the anthem of the state of Israel. And I heard over and over and over in Congo how you talk about being a God thing. They believe. What, a, what an incredible country. What beautiful people. What incredible resources that they have. Yet, and I don't mean it in a judgmental way, it's so underdeveloped, so horribly underdeveloped. How can that be? They believe that it is the remnant of the curse from God because in 1973, President Mobutu stood at the UN and turned his back on Israel. Even if he said it was a difficult decision, he said he had to make a decision between his, his brothers, you know, his friends and his neighbors, and he chose his neighbors. Because that was the time then when when um, the Africa uh, excuse me um, Arab League was strong arming everyone in the world, specifically Black Africa, to break ties with Israel. So I saw this over and over and over and over again, and they understand that Israel, going back for the 1950s, when we were a still a newborn state, cared deeply about relationships with Africa and invested in Africa. And they want that and they want the help and they want the relationships and they want the blessing. So I experienced for 12 days, I knew that I needed to throw out every judgment. And I'm glad I could think of that before I went there. I knew that I needed to understand the society and the people that I was integrating with. I had no, I didn't know, but I asked questions and I learned and I came away in the, in the first three days, I think maybe four days, I had already written an op-ed for the Jerusalem Post about how incredible the trip was. And I've written and spoken about that many times before. And I've just been blown away. And, and I'd love to go back to Congo. I'd love to go and see so much more because what an incredible continent, what an incredible culture, what incredible people, and, and how amazing to look at a, at a culture that's largely non-white, non-Western, and deeply connected to Israel. If you're like most people in the world, you know about the Holocaust, but never met, much less interacted with a Holocaust survivor or heard their stories of suffering and survival. With the remaining elderly survivors dying at an unprecedented pace, in less than a generation, there will be none alive. Yet, while they did survive, and for that we need to celebrate them, many still suffer trauma from their youth. As they age, they have increasing needs. And living on fixed incomes, sometimes with no pension, things as simple and essential as basic foods, heating in the winter, medicine, and inflation can push someone over the line from surviving to struggling again. It can create stress in their lives that reminds them of the suffering they endured as young people. It's just not acceptable that anyone who suffered as much should struggle with basic needs 
or any undue stress in their twilight years. I want to invite you to join the Genesis 123 Foundation to bless the survivors. Yes, we pray that you'll donate personally and do so generously. And when you do, we also give you the opportunity to send your personal blessings and words of encouragement to the survivors themselves to brighten their day and let them feel your love. Having been privileged to provide financial resources to help survivors on a day-to-day basis, I know it makes a difference and is very appreciated. But your personal note that we translate into Hebrew, Russian, or Yiddish really makes them smile and warms their heart. I pray you'll join us by going to genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. That's genesis123.co slash hug a survivor. And please share this with others. We can't undo the suffering that they endured. And there's no limit to what the needs are, but we can never do too much to comfort them in their final years. Please join us. God bless you. That's amazing, Jonathan. That is amazing. And I think this is a good pivot place to talk about the book because we're talking about you traveling and meeting and being in different places with Christians around the world who love Israel. So how did the idea for the book come about? Um, The book is called Israel the Miracle. And the idea was also an unbelievable God thing. I was with people today who, who were looking at the proof copy um, we're actually going to print this week, which is beautiful and stressful all at the same time. Um, this And the woman who was here in my home said, wow, how many years were you planning this? This is amazing. And I told her that it was only conceived in November. Now, why is that remarkable? Because I was told by a number of people who are writers, I was basically told, no way, no way you're going to get this done. In, in the time for Israel's 75th anniversary, which is the, na- the notion of the book, but especially this book, because it's not just a book of text. It's an extraordinary coffee table book that has essays from 75 Christian leaders from all over the world about why Israel is significant to them and therefore why Israel should be significant to Christians in general. And as a coffee table book, each essay is illustrated with two, three, six different photos of scenes here in Israel that bring out the theme. So it's a lot of work. And I credit, uh, I'll never not credit um, my publisher, Higher Life, which is also based in Orlando, David Welday, and all of his, his team, Tim and everybody. They've done an unbelievable job. I could never have done this without them. Um, but it was. It was a miracle in and of itself, which I didn't realize until only two or three months ago, that this book even exists, that we're now sitting in the middle of August, about to go to press nine months after conception. And I use those words um, very purposefully. Um, And by the middle of next month, the book, and we're printing here in Israel, which is exciting. And by next month, I will be taking copies with me to Germany and shipping copies to different places in the world so they everyone can get their 
advanced copies and then order their new copies. And then I go on my book tour. And I'm glad you noted, you commented about me and ethnicity. I, my parents were wonderful people. My mother was especially open-minded and liberal. And I, it wasn't that she taught me to not see color, but it, it was never an issue for me. So, but I did know in preparing this book, it could not be a book of 70%, 60 plus year old white men, whether from, from the US or anywhere else. It needed to be multi-ethnic. It needed to be multi-generational. It needed to be global. And I'm proud of myself that I didn't put together a checklist and say, okay, how many black people do we have over this age and under this age and Asians? And I didn't do that. And I still haven't done it. But when I look at the diversity of the book, I'm super proud of the fact that it represents, maybe not perfectly, and maybe not to a scientific um, precision with, 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 a, with a minimal margin of error, but it, we have people from every continent but Antarctica, Africa alone. We have, and I, actually, I want to share one really cool thing with you. I think we have four authors who are, who are African living in Africa, plus another three who are from Africa but living outside of Africa. So that's about 10% of the book. Now, I know that major daughter listening is is thinking how wonderful but oh but we're still but africa is still so underrepresented and i know it is and we were speaking about an african edition which we which is suitable and appropriate and i hope and pray that we will make happen but um i had a pastor who's a dear friend of mine in the states pastor of a mostly african-american mega church and he asked me if the book represented if there were representatives from his community now I assumed that he didn't men mean his city and state. So I asked him just to be clear, because I didn't want to presume. And he said, yes, African-Americans. And I said to him, not only do we have African-Americans, of course we do, we have to, but we have African-Africans. And that's so important. So this book is, shows that diversity. And, and I'll, I'll just say one more thing that's so amazing about it. Because it's got pictures, after we met in Orlando, I did a little bit of traveling and I came home about a week or two weeks later, (coughs) bringing the proof copy that you saw. And I just put it out for Shabbat. My whole family, all my kids and my grandchildren were here. And I wanted everyone to see this pic, the book that I've been working on. And the best thing happened on Saturday afternoon, my four-year-old grandson picked up the book. Now he's a really smart boy. He can read letters in Hebrew and letters in English. And he's just now starting to decode and read, but he can't read words. But he was so engaged with the book because of the pictures that the only thing was missing was him sitting on my lap or my wife's lap or one of his parents' laps to explain the book to him and tell the stories. Because with a book that's so beautiful, you can do that. And that's what we strove to create, a book that's not something you read and put back on the shelf, but you read and interact with even so much that we've decided to leave blank pages at the end that ask people to fill in what's their Israel story. Why is Israel so significant to them? So this will become a family heirloom. 
That's beautiful, Jonathan. Very beautiful how that story came together. Um, we're coming up on our hour soon, but I wanted to know, <clears throat> I wanted to give space to Major Daughter if she wanted to ask you any questions or you want to say anything. Major, if you do, just flash your mic or at any time, just come off mic. You're welcome to uh, ask a question or say anything. Um, <clears throat> so, um, now that you are, um, got the book and you're about to go to print and you said you're going to Germany. Are there any other locations? Like what's your travel dates and things that you have planned for the book? Yeah. So Germany's easy. Cause I can hop over there for a couple of days. Um, in the middle of the holidays here, but then right after Sukkot or some Christians know as Tabernacles, um, I'll be hitting the road for most of the rest of the year. And, and most of that will be in, in North America. Um, and the idea is to do book launch events everywhere and media everywhere. And up until the end of the second week of December, we want to be able to guarantee that anyone who wants to purchase the book can get it in their home in time for Christmas. And then probably we probably do something in the UK and other, other places, but um, probably uh, go to points in Africa and Asia and maybe central and South America in the first quarter of next year. Um, yeah. So the idea is just to get it out there. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to forget um, because of our relationship um, if people go to what's our website, israelthemiracle.com, and when they go to check out, let's not forget that we've set up a coupon code EBLM for every Black Life Matters. Um, and if people enter that at the checkout, we're offering a 10% discount on the book. I don't want to encourage people outside the US to buy the book that way because shipping is prohibitive. We'll figure out a better way to ship, um, not through the website, but. Yeah, that's I, I, I'm exhausted from thinking of what my travel schedule is going to be, that I'm going to need a vacation in December. But um, it's pretty amazing. And I'm, I'm just excited. There's so much interest and there's so much interest even among Jews to want to see, OK, why do Christians really love us? Why do Christians really think that Israel is so important to them? I would love to be a fly on the wall in some Jewish homes reading that because um, I pray that it is healing, you know, because there, there is a general sense that Christians are, there's a, that there's animosity between the two of us, especially, uh, the Jews feeling that way from Christians and rightfully so, um, and not the Christians of today per se, but history. And so, you know, just like <clears throat> with um, with the civil rights work and slavery in America, there are some who are still bitter about it. But, you know, most of the people who actually did the harm are long dead now. Um, and so uh, there are many who can let go of it and move on. And I feel like that for Jews, some of the persecution that they felt, there are many who have actually really done, and people are still doing harm. So I don't want to belittle the fact that people are not still doing harm, but 
a lot of the, at least currently, Christian, I can't even say that because there are countries where Christians are persecuting Jews physically. So I guess I can't make that statement, but I was trying to make my way around to saying that I hope when they read it, that there can be a sense of healing and forgiveness and that they might actually want to cross that bridge, you know, that you're trying to build. I love that you said that. And today I had a meeting with this couple that came to my house and I actually thought that maybe what I need to do is kind of write a primer because for some Jews, simply even mentioning the name Jesus is something uncomfortable um, and, and we'll, we'll get people's back up. Um, I'm not like that. And I make Jews uncomfortable by openly speaking about Jesus. And, and, and I quite love that, but yeah, it would be, I, I would be a, uh, love to be a fly on the wall. And I'm hoping that when I do book launch events in Jewish communities, that we can have an honest conversation about what what it is. Because so many Jews will say, oh, well, they only love us or they only support us because they want X or Y, that we Armageddon or this or that, or because we all need to be here in Israel for Jesus to come back and all all this other stuff. And And, and that doesn't mean that theologically... There aren't people who believe these things, but that's not the motivating factor in 2023 for the propensity of the people that you know and that I know. And even if there are things that are uncomfortable and even if there are things about which we disagree, I can live with that very comfortably because ultimately it's redemptive. Ultimately, we Jews and Christians are the only people who worship the creator. Um, our creator, and who have a relationship with him through his word, through the Bible. So I'm prepared to go through all the discomfort to build up that foundation. And I don't think that Jews need to become Christian or Christians need to become Jews. I think we need to all be the best servants of, of God that we can, that we're called to be. The restoration of Jewish sovereignty in the land of Israel was an earth-shattering event. For Christians, it was a confirmation that God always keeps his covenantal promises. Today, we are blessed to see God's fingerprints in the modern miracle of the land of Israel playing out in our lives among the people and in the state of Israel. This year, on the occasion of Israel's 75th anniversary, the Genesis 123 Foundation has been privileged to bring together 75 Christian leaders from around the world to lend their unique voices, sharing their personal faith experiences relating to Israel and their in-depth insight into Israel's history and spiritual significance, creating an historical, one-of-a-kind, high-end coffee table book, Israel the Miracle. Israel the Miracle's stunning imagery will fill your home with the hope of fulfilled promises and conversations about Israel. It's a perfect gift to anyone for any occasion, and most of all, to yourself. You'll also be a blessing to Israel, knowing that the proceeds will go to bless Israelis of all backgrounds. Be a part of Israel the miracle and bring the land, the people, and the state of Israel into your heart and into your home. Visit IsraelTheMiracle.com to get your limited edition copy today. That's good. Um, so you have a podcast and you love to say it. And I think it's amazing. 
that you're on Charisma, which is a very evangelical Christian radio station, but you're the only Orthodox Jew. <laughs> and um, so you have a podcast coming out on Thursday, but tell people about the podcast, where they can listen to it and what's happening on Thursday. Sure. So the podcast is called Inspiration from Zion, and it's hosted on the Charisma Podcast Network, where, as you said, I'm the only Orthodox Jew of about 300 podcast hosts. And we're striving to build bridges and open doors and, and share aspects of life here in Israel and about Judaism that people wouldn't otherwise know. And we're now in our third year. It's been an unbelievable blessing, the number of people who are listening, which means either I'm doing something right and or I have great guests. And this Thursday, and people can listen to Inspiration from Zion on the Charisma Podcast Network or Apple or Spotify or pretty much everywhere that you listen to podcasts. Um, I'm not such a big maven on all the places, but if you type Inspiration from Zion podcast into an internet browser, you'll find it. And this Thursday, I'm very excited. It's a great conversation with um, Kevin, uh, Kevin McGarry and Neil Mammon who are the founders of Every Black Life Matters. And, and thank God you introduced me to them through, through Major Daughter when you were here. And I was blown away. On, I mean, I, I say that at the beginning of the conversation. Those are two. And, and by the way, Regina, you're not too shabby either by far. But those are two unbelievable men with great vision and great love for God. And, and that whole experience of, of tagging along with and connecting and then hosting um, the group that Major Daughter hosted here and bringing you to my community was unbelievable. And, and I, I've said it before, and it comes up in the podcast. And I don't know if I, I've said it, it's, it's honest, but when you and I first met, I just heard Black Lives Matter and my back got up. And I was uneasy with it until I understood who you were and what you were about and what that's about, and that that's different. And that makes me all the more passionate for what you're doing and what they do. Because, because I need to support that. I need to be involved with that. I need to I need to get other people involved because that is the moral. Yeah, Black Lives Matter. I affirm that with every breath of my life. But, but, but it needs to be the moral, non-anti-Semitic, um, um, non-Marxist Black Lives Matter that makes us all proud. And so we had an amazing conversation that I've been itching to release. And finally, it's coming out on Thursday, and I encourage everyone to, to, to subscribe to Inspiration from Zion wherever they listen. And if that's the first episode that they listen to, I, I pray it won't be the last. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, that's exciting. I can't wait to listen to it. And, you know, I'm also excited about just, uh, which we don't have time to get into today, but there are plenty of other times to catch up again. Um, because I will be doing a tour to Israel. And um, I've been speaking to different people who have gone to Israel. And you and I had a conversation about my first experience in Israel. And um, it wasn't the greatest, but I felt like I need to go again and that I will go again. And uh, I may go again in December. Uh, you may not be there, but I'm going, I think. And then um, I'm planning one for the end of May 
Um, and I'm excited because I'm hoping you'll be home so that I can plan to bring the group there. But when I was talking to another group of another group that goes to Israel quite frequently, I didn't know that Martin Luther King had a forest there, a section of the forest, and that Coretta Scott King had a section of a forest there, and they were building trees to honor them. And uh, that there's a Martin Luther King Jr. Drive in in Jerusalem. And uh, just these amazing connections with the civil rights movement here in the States. And so um, I am looking forward to you know, visiting those places when I come. I'm looking forward to bringing a small group to meet you. When we come, we're going to meet with Tommy um, Waller. I'm going to have him on the show soon. And uh, I'm going to get back to having conversations again with Dumasani Washington. Have you connected with Dumasani yet, Jonathan? Have you two connected? I, I've, I've met Dumasani, but um, his son Joshua and daughter-in-law Olga are two of the authors in the in the book. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Okay, wonderful, wonderful. Um, yeah, so they're the ones, when they go, they go to those places. And I was like, I didn't even know um, that there was so much history between the civil rights leaders and the Jewish community. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, and thank you so much for your book, for your heart, for the work that you're doing. Um, and just your love for God. I can hear that. And it's just so practical. There's no sensationalism about it at all. So, um, I appreciate that from you. So I'm going to give you, uh, the last words, anything that you want to say that I didn't ask or you didn't get a chance to. I'm so grateful for you. I, I, I'm, I'm blessed that you and I are now old new good good old new friends and all of the relationships that have come of that and certainly when you're here we will connect and when i'm wherever wherever you are it could be in any part in any continent um we will connect and and i'm just grateful i'm really really blessed all right well thank you jonathan so um i'm going to ask you to do a closing prayer for us uh, Major Daughter, anything you want to say before we close out? Uh, if not, okay. So, Jonathan, will you uh, pray over us and then we'll close the room? Wow, okay. Avinu um, our Father in Heaven. It is amazing how you create relationships and call us to do things in our life. And I'm so grateful for you opening these doors and making things like this possible and the technologies, and I, and I pray that you will continue to bless Regina and every Black Life Matters and everyone involved with that ministry. And of course, our good mutual friend, Major Daughter, and everything that she is doing. And I pray that this conversation will go far and wide to create new relationships and, and build bridges and, and create understanding, um, not, build, not build walls. And I'm so grateful for you governing everything in our life and giving us the opportunity to appreciate everything in your creation. Thank you, Jonathan. All right, everyone. This room will end 
in five, four, three, two, and one. Have a blessed evening. If you've stayed with us this long, you deserve a reward. And this is because, well, we always say that, but it's a very, very different kind of conversation today. Beginning, wow, a while ago, we've, we've been offering a special gift every month. We call it From Jonathan's Bookshelf. Now, until, until at least the end of the year, we're offering you the opportunity when you uh, comment on and share the link to this program, we're going to give you a brand new copy of the incredible book that we've published called Inspir uh, Israel the Miracle. Israel the Miracle is a magnificent compilation of essays by 75 Christian leaders from all over the world writing about why Israel is significant to them. And it is depicted as a coffee table book with stunning images that will take your breath away in addition to the words. So just comment and like and share uh, the, the program here on all your social media. And we're going to pick one person to get a great copy of this book. We're always grateful that our program is sponsored by the, our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're ever in the area and need something, please pop in or go to say hi and thank you for helping make programs like this possible. And also special thanks to our friends, the Coyne family, for their meaningful sponsorship. Inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and build bridges. If you'd like to sponsor a future episode yourself in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion, please be in touch at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We'd always love to hear your comments as part of the dialogue and invite you to send any questions as well, especially questions that you have about traditional Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi program. Please share this with others who will also find it of interest and continue to join us right here as we bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy, and I send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. God bless you. Hallelujah, Hallelujah.